We spend our whole lives running, searching for something to make life all we hoped it could be. Soon we're running scared from hurt we feel and hurts we've caused. But mostly, we run from God. We just know if he ever catches us, it's over. But nobody can run forever. And when the day comes to face the one who's chased us all these years, we discover something amazing, but true. He isn't out to get us. He's out to love us and make us all we're created to be. Pursued God's divine obsession with you. Well, how many of you have ever been chased? That could be a good thing or a bad thing, but have you ever been chased? I mean, just tell the truth. I've been chased before several different times, but one time that really sticks out in my memory comes from when I was about probably eight or nine years old and I was at my grandparents' house. I grew up in the country near my grandparents and they had chickens. And it was really fun to get my friends who were all about my age and we would like just shake the walls of the chicken coop and they would like freak out. And my grandpa tried to say it kept them from laying eggs, but we just, we would shake it and they would just like, Wah! you know, and they were flying around in there thinking the world was coming to an end. And there was this one chicken, this rooster, we called him Red and he was big. And me and my buddies got red cornered one day behind my grandparents' house. I'm not sure what we thought we were going to do with him if we caught him, but we thought we, we're going to catch red. We decided we're going to catch him. We're going to do something to him or with him. And, and, and so we're standing there, the rooster's cornered. It's like freaking out, trying to figure out where to go. And, and all of a sudden the rooster got this, a lot of extra measure of courage. And I don't know why he chose me <laughs> out of the group that was standing there, but he did. And all of a sudden, the rooster went from being cornered and chased to being the one that was going to chase us. And he chose me to chase in particular. And I remember running around my grandparents' house, screaming while this rooster had clawed onto my back and had those wings. Fl- so I, I have been flogged by a rooster. Now, how many of you can say that? But it happened. It chased me and it caught me. Well, this series, we're talking about, in a good way, how God pursues us and how he chases us and how he's on this relentless pursuit to be in a relationship with people. God has this unquenchable thirst to know you, to be in a relationship with you. And you need to know that. The reason you need to know that is because over the years, I have seen people in many different ways, react to God. I have seen people run from God. I did that for a lot of my life. Maybe you, for some of your life, or maybe now, you're running from God, trying to get away from him, trying to get away from the way he can radically change your life. So you're running from the inevitable. I've also seen people who are churchgoers running for God, as if to say, hey, God, check me out. Look at all the stuff I do. Look at how good I am. So people run from God. People run for God. But in this series, what we want to talk about is what it means to run to God. Run to the God who is pursuing you. The whole series is based 
on an obscure Old Testament book that you may have never even heard the name of if you're not familiar with the Bible. It's the book of Hosea. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep if you want it, or you can just follow along uh, on the screen. Uh, The page numbers are also on there as well. So this whole book is about, is told by this, this prophet named Isaiah. And prophets in the Old Testament, they were, they were kind of, they were wanderers. They were weird. They, they probably looked like they needed a bath. Uh, They lived like gypsies. Many of them were just single people out there hearing from God and then coming and telling God, giving God a message. So the prophet we're going to read from was named Hosea. Now, today's message, it's not quite PG-13, but I would say PG. So if you have a child in here, and if you would like for me to teach them a few new words, that's probably what happened today. But if you would rather them learn about Jesus on their level, you can take them right out there to LifePoint Kids, uh, where they'll have a blast. Otherwise, let me know how those conversations go on the way home (laughs) when they ask you what some of these words mean. So Hosea... Hosea is called one of the minor prophets. And if you've ever heard the term minor prophet, it doesn't mean that like he was training to be a a real prophet or, you know, like the big league prophet. Minor prophet just means that his prophecy, his book, the writings from him are smaller. And the message that he had for God's people was the, the minor prophets is a very specific in time message. The other prophets would be prophets like Jeremiah. There's a book in the Old Testament called Jeremiah, a book called Isaiah. Much longer, much more general, many, many things from them, from God through them to the to people, where the book of Hosea is shorter, something you could read in just a few minutes, and it's got a very specific message from God to his people. And this book is written about eight centuries before the time of Christ, and it begins... Chapter one, like this, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea. Now it's important to get that because God is speaking through this man, through this prophet directly to his people. Now think about that. God speaking audibly. What if you knew, what if you knew God was saying something to you and you knew 100% it was God? Would you listen? I think I would. Because you would, if you knew 100% it was God, then of course you would listen. Wouldn't that be awesome if God just audibly would say, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And hey, today, why don't you go do this? Well, that's how Hosea lived his life. God began communicating to him for his people. I remember the first time in my life I felt this crystal clear message from God. It wasn't audible, but it was amazing to know this is exactly what God wants me to do at this point in time. And that's what Hosea is going through. So God is speaking. And I don't know if Hosea was there with a a hammer and chisel or something to write on or what he was doing. But when God spoke, I mean, Hosea is ready to listen and give that message to his people. So it says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel... Through Hosea, here's what he said. Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. I'm sure Hosea was like, okay, go and marry a... What? Did I hear that right? Do I have sand in my ears, my hair? What's the deal? 
go and marry a prostitute. Now, Hosea was probably in his 20s or 30s when he's hearing from God. And maybe Hosea's parents were like, hey, Hosea, buddy, when are you going to find a wife? You know, you're getting up there. You got this prophecy thing going on and you need a woman. Can you imagine him going home and saying, mom, dad, I found a wife. Well, tell us about her. Well, I got good news and bad news. The good news is God chose her just for me. Perfect. The bad news is she's a prostitute. Can you just hear his parents? She's a what? She's a prostitute. Okay, then what's her name? Well, her name is Gomer. Sounds hideous. Gomer? God wants you to marry this prostitute named Gomer. Yeah, and there's more. Here's the more. Go marry a prostitute so some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. That's right. God wants me to marry an unfaithful woman who will continue to be unfaithful. And she's going to get pregnant and I'm going to have to raise those kids. Just to show that Hosea was still a a, a human being, that he probably struggled with having to do this. When he starts naming these children that she has from other men. The three that it mentions, here's what their names mean. The first one means loser. The second one means not loved. And the third daughter meant not my people. So Hosea was like, all right, you want me to marry a prostitute? You want me to raise your kids? All right. Okay, here's what I'm going to name them. So Hosea did it though. He did what God asked. It goes on to say, so Hosea married Gomer. He married this unfaithful woman. Why would God do that? Why would God ask one of his prophets to go marry a hooker and she was going to keep turning tricks? Why would God do that? Because God was using his prophets at this time to speak to the nation of Israel. And I'm sure Hosea is thinking, okay, I've got it, God. I heard what you said, but why are you doing this? And God answers him and says, this will illustrate How Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So whatever happens in this relationship you can read about through the book of Hosea between Hosea and Gomer is a mirror of God's relationship with his people, of God's relationship with us. It gives us insight as to how God must feel when we choose to be rebellious. See, God's people had betrayed the relationship with him. And he wants to give them a picture of what that must be like. And as we go through this story over the next few weeks, we see Hosea pursue his wife over and over again. Because he fell madly, deeply in love with her in spite of all that she was. And he continued to pursue her, to go get her back again. And his love for her doesn't waver. So this is really a picture of our relationship with God. God chose this marriage between these two people to illustrate his relationship with us. He's saying, this is the picture of my love for you. Now, if you can just internalize that that one idea... Because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done leading up to today, 
No matter what you plan on doing, you need to write this down and internalize it and live it. God deeply desires to be in relationship with me. Write that down and put it where you can see it because you can see throughout scripture. That is what God desires of his people, of us, is to be in a relationship with us. No matter what happens, he pursues us over and over again. You know that feeling that you get? I remember the feeling. I remember when I was living far away from God, that there was a feeling that something is just not right. I was trying to fill my life up with all this other stuff that a young kid would try to fill their life up with. And, and, and it was just not right. Something didn't feel right. Something was still empty inside. That was God's pursuit of me. And you may have walked in here today with that same feeling like something's just not right. Something just doesn't feel, no matter what I do, I don't, I'm not full. No matter what happens, this doesn't give me the happiness and the joy and the contentment I was hoping for in life. Or maybe you're just saying, you know, I keep coming here. I keep being drawn back here. Maybe it's your husband, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad. Somebody keeps helping you be here every week. And you're thinking, I I keep being drawn here and I'm not sure why. It's because you are being pursued by your creator. And God wants you to know that. That his relentless pursuit for your heart will never stop. Because his desire is that you experience his unfailing love. Even if you don't sense it, he's still pursuing you. That's what the story of a prophet marrying a prostitute tells us. And while it might start out for Hosea anyway, being a very confusing, weird time... It's really good news. It's great news that if we're the prostitute and Hosea is God, he's saying, I am going to pursue you at all costs all the time until I can capture your heart. This story is a picture of hope. Hosea's name, it means salvation. It comes from the same root word, As another Hebrew name that's pronounced Yeshua. Which in English we would say Jesus. Jesus' name means God's salvation. But they have the same root word from which their names are derived. And that is salvation. Because that is what God is longing to bring to the nation of Israel in this story. Is his salvation. Author C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you haven't read them or seen the movies, it's a great picture of God, of Christ, and his interaction in our lives. But C.S. Lewis wasn't always a Christian writer. He was an atheist. He ran from God. He lived much of his life opposed to God. And in one of his writings, he writes about his conversion. And he says this. He said, I'd always wanted above all things not to be interfered with. I'd wanted to call my soul my own. You must picture me alone in my room night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him 
who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. And finally I gave in and admitted that God was God and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps the most reluctant convert in all of England. I did not then see what is now the most shining thing. The divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. He's saying that no matter who you are, what you've done, what you're in the middle of that you thought you would never be in the middle of, you need to understand that God deeply desires to be in a relationship with you. And that's the message that Hosea and Gomer are giving to God's people. Because God's people at that time had turned to something that's much less than relationship. Something that's much less fulfilling than relationship. They had turned to religion. In other words, they had turned to rules and rituals and the empty traditions that got them no deeper into a relationship with God. So what they were doing is saying, we're going to get ourselves really looking good and obeying all the right things and doing it perfectly so God will be pleased with us. That's what they thought. It's kind of like if you know you have a physical at your doctor in a month, you're going to eat better over the next four weeks, aren't you? You're not going to eat as much pizza and burgers and you're going to exercise like you've exercised your whole life, right? You're going to just, you're going to get fit because you're thinking, I got to go fool the doctor and make him think that I always just eat like plants. (laughs) And that's all I do. So when I go to the doctor, he's going to say, you're in great shape. The thing is, you can't fool the doctor. You can try, but a month is not enough time for you to be able to fool the doctor. And these people were trying to fool God and make sure he was pleased with them by their actions, by what they did. See, religion, and that's called religion, and religion does a couple of things. Religion burdens those who are trying sincerely to follow God. It puts rules on their backs that aren't supposed to be there. It presents a God to them that's not truly the God of the Bible. And also religion pushes those who are searching further away from God. And the thing was, these people had not walked away and rejected God. They hadn't said, okay, God, we no longer believe in you. We're finished with you. So we're, we're just going to push you out and we're not going to have anything to do with you. That's not their problem. God didn't say, hey, you're acting like a prostitute because they pushed him out intentionally. They were still going to temple. They were still making sacrifices. They were still doing some form of worship. But it was all empty ritual religion when God was desiring a relationship. And here's what he says later in the book of Hosea about those people. He says, the people of Israel love their rituals of sacrifice, but to me, their sacrifices are meaningless. So they were carrying out religious activities, but they'd become just empty rituals. And God chose marriage to illustrate how that works in this, in this case. So, okay, all, all the guys in here, if you stop by on your way home from work this week and you get your wife uh, some roses, 
And you go home and you say, okay, honey, here are some roses because I have to. Because I know women like to be pampered and women like to to have roses. And you got to tell your friends I got them for you because it makes me look really good. So because of my obligation to you to be your husband, here's a dozen roses. How many besides me would get hit over the head with the roses? She would be like, no, thanks. If you're going to give me roses, I want you to give them to me. Hey, just because you deserve them and I love you and you're awesome. And here is a way I'm going to express my love to you. You see the difference. The Israelites were into the former. They were saying, God, look at what we're doing for you. And they began to find meaning in the rituals and not the relationship. And in its truest form, a marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. And the difference in a contract and a covenant is in a contract, in a contract, it says, if you live up to your end of the deal, I'll live up to my end of the deal. I have a contract with Wells Fargo that says I can lie and tell people that I own a home. But the truth is they own my house and they allow me to live in it as long as Every first of the month, I write them a check and they let me in this dream world that I actually own a house. When the truth is, they own it. They're allowing me to live in it as long as I make installments for what was 360 months. I can call it mine. They don't care about me at all. Because I bet if I stopped giving them their monthly installment, it wouldn't be long to where they reminded me of the fact The home I live in and call mine is actually theirs. That's a contract. You keep up your end of the deal. I'll keep up my end of the deal. And we're all going to be happy. But a covenant is different. A covenant says that I'm going to make this thing work no matter what. A covenant says that through the hard times, through the good times, through the times when I don't, I feel like I don't care, when it looks like you do not care, we're going to stick this thing out and we're going to stay together. That's what a covenant is. A covenant comes, but when you have a covenant relationship with God, you come and you're, you're generous or you give to God, not because you have to, or because it pleases him. You give to him because he's worthy to be given to. And in a covenant relationship with God, you don't read your Bible to find out what God wants you to do. You read your Bible to find out who God is and to know him more. You see the difference and Israel and even people today had have gotten to where this relationship with God is more like a contract where it's like, hey, God, I'm going to keep up my end of the deal. I'm going to show up at church no matter what time they change the services to Doesn't matter. I'm showing up. I'm going to do some good things and I'll write a check at the end and I'll give to help make sure everything happens. And then God, when I get to the end and close my eyes for the last time, your end of the deal is that I get to have heaven, get to have eternity, but also on earth, I need to, you're going to give me blessing and you keep up your end of the deal and I'll keep up my end of the deal. And God's saying, no, it's a covenant. And he's saying, no matter how much you do to betray me, guess what? I'm still going to pursue you. I'm still going to love you. No matter how bad you mess up or how far you run away from me, I'm still right there with you and I'm not going to stop pursuing. People had such a hard time with this. 
2,800 years ago, they had a hard time with it. By the time Jesus came along, which obviously they did not listen to the message of Hosea, because by the time Jesus came along, he was having to deal with the same thing. People who were burdened down with rules and not benefited by the relationship that God wanted to have with them. So most of Jesus's teaching that you read about in the New Testament has to do with him trying to set straight the religious people who thought they were the ones pleasing God when actually they were driving people away from God. And Jesus shows up and says, that's not how it's supposed to be. And so people in Jesus's day, when he showed up, they were burdened with all of these ridiculous rituals that kept people far from God. And Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying that in opposition to the religious leaders of the day. He's saying, you want rest? Come to me. You're burdened down with rules and ritual and religion. Come to me because I want to have a relationship with you. And if you've stayed away from church or stayed away from God because of what religion looks like from the outside or... If you've bought into a system that beats you up more than it builds you up, Jesus says, I have an answer. It's me. It's rest. See, religion drains, relationship fills. Hosea means salvation. Gomer means finished or done. Maybe Gomer was at the point in her life she was saying, I'm done with this life. I'm done with living this way. I'm done with being treated like property. I'm done. And through Hosea, she had an opportunity to change everything about the way she lived. And you may have shown up here today, a gomer being done. You might be thinking, I'm done with living this way. I'm done with just Seeing God as someone I just have to please. And maybe you're ready to just give up. Or burdened with the things that the world has put on your shoulder. And you're saying, I am done. Well, join with me over this four-week journey as we go through this story of a prophet who married a prostitute to illustrate God's relentless pursuit of us and how God deeply desires to be in a relationship with us. There's a point in this story that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks where Gomer runs off with another man. And she's in the bed of another man and God comes to Hosea and he says, go get your wife who is loved by another and love her again. And God is saying, I will come and get you no matter what else you've loved. And I will love you again because I deeply desire a relationship with you. I challenge you to take the 30 or less minutes that it would take to read the short 14 chapters of the book of Hosea. And see how it illustrates God's pursuit of us and love for us. Don't miss next week. We're talking about what it means to be pursued by grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing story of a prophet who lived thousands of years ago and how you used him to illustrate your love. God, may we leave here 
a little closer to the realization that you pursue us at all costs to you. And may we feel that pursuit and that desire you have to be in a relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.